This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3457 for Tuesday, the 2nd of November 2021. Today's show is entitled Tables and is part of the series Databases. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 38 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is how and why I convert tables to lists. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Um, I got a message for, on Mastodon from a person named F Toys, and they said that they were listening to a show about uh, from me about macros and how they used to use macros uh, it, for to generate tables in HTML. And it got me to thinking about how much I um, hate tables, but also I can see the appreciation for tables. Uh, it's a complex relationship, and I want to talk about that here on Hacker Public Radio. So, tables, what are they? Well. A spreadsheet would be the quintessential example of a table, I think, right? You've got your columns across the top, you've got your rows down the side. The intersection of those, as you kind of scroll across the, 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 the page, are called cells. That's where a, a row and a column intersect, as it were. It's called a cell, and in that cell, there's information. Now, we see this model of content delivery in lots of different places. We we see it in books and they're quite useful actually. I've got a I have a book here in front of me that has a lot of tables in it. Um, I'm just on page 41 and I'm al- already on table number 31. That's how many tables there are in this particular book. It's a Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd edition player handbook. So lots of tables. And tables can be really good for for clarity, for quick reference. And tables also have a kind of um, implicit communication that they carry with them. And, you know, you see a table and you understand what you're looking at. You know that you are about to see something, uh, usually some kind of almost a comparison uh, if not not if maybe it's not exactly a comparison but in in a way it's a comparison almost no matter what because the, there are different cells and and the the further you go along in the table the the information gets modified by what column and row it happens to fall in so for instance if i look at a table actually right here here's a table so a priest Thacko for level 3 is 20, but the priest's Thacko at level 6 is 18. And then at 7, it's 16. And then at 16, it's 10, and so on. But if you look at the same data for a rogue, at level 3, they're 19. At level 6, they're 18. At level 10, they're 16. And, and at level 16, they're 13. So you get the sense that that you're looking at information that changes either over time or under certain conditions, and so it's a it's a it's a great way to kind of reference. Like if you're 
if you're doing something and you have a table, you don't need to know what a priest or a rogue or a warrior or a wizard is. You don't need to know what Thacko is. But if you're if you're looking to optimize those things, you think, okay, well, I want the best Thacko I can possibly get. So you can look at this table. It's laid out in this manner, and you can tell how you could optimize that by just looking across. So by by twenty. The lowest Thacko there is is under the warrior class, and so I guess if I'm if I'm aiming to optimize my Thacko across across time, I should be playing a warrior, and that turns out to be true. Their Thacko goes down by one every single level, while everyone else has um, a different rate of of advancement. So whether you know what that is or not, you you know now the relationship between, for instance, a warrior and a priest. You can look at the table and say, okay, the warrior. You, you decrements one per 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 heading per column, whereas the priest does uh, it decrements two every three columns. So now we know. Don't know what we know, but we know. And and that's a great thing about tables, is that they present the information in an easy to reference kind of manner. And and something that may or may not be even closer to home here for you. It depends on what world you're coming from as a listener, but. Um, let's say that you're looking for a Linux distribution, and you have a very specific um, package management requirement. You know you like DNF, you just can't decide which distro you want to go with. And so you might look at a table that gives you the operating system, uh, let's say the init system, and the package manager, and, you know, I don't know, something else, the default shell. And you could scroll through this list and kind of scan the table, and you kind of focus in on the column that says package manager and because that's the thing that you care about and so you 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 see the list okay dnf well there it is so we've got what do we got oh we got fedora well that's kind of expected we got rel and centos and magia i hadn't thought of magia and maybe open mandriva although actually i don't know if they're actually using dnf yet i know magia did switch over to dnf and so on and then you could maybe you'd, you'd keep scrolling down the list and then you run into slack pkg well that's not dnf uh which one is that oh that's slackware emerge that's gen 2 okay and then apt and that list would go on for for half of a page or a, several pages and so on so you can kind of you can use a table as a way to focus in on a specific kind of information and then cross-reference what what kind of data surrounds the thing that you care about. It is sort of it, it is a visual uh, sort of way to select a table in a database. So that's a table. Tables are really good. They're great. They're great for reference. They're quick. They're fast. They communicate uh, the differences of, of of data to to the reader quickly. They're easy to reference. They're easy to cross reference. So why do I hate tables? Well, obviously, I don't hate tables. I mean, I actually really, really like a good table. I think tables are great, going on record saying that tables are great. However, tables are also a real pain to lay out. And, I mean, initially they're not. I mean, you have a table, you you, you generate the table in whatever formatting tool you're using, whether it's a word processor or code like HTML or XML, and and it's done, and you're happy with it. The problems usually come around in two different places. One is maintenance, and the other is probably not in this order, actually. One is maintenance, and the other is physical layout. So tables, I'll, I'll just start with the layout, because this is the obvious one, and the, the, the reason I really, really hate it. Um, the 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 layout is is just based on literally what media you're 
your reader is viewing the table within. So if you're writing your initial table for, I don't know, the internet, then you probably have essentially the entire screen of your user. And there's no way of telling what your screen, of what that user's screen is, but we all kind of assume a reasonably modern display. And I'm thinking personally of a desktop because I'm sitting in front of my desktop. Maybe you're thinking uh, about a laptop. Either way, they're all about, you know, 1920 by 1080, or maybe they're a lot, lot larger now. Whatever it is, it's kind of like, you know, a, a big display that you can look at a document, whatever a document is, uh, in on full screen, and you, you kind of you get the whole thing. Well, that in itself poses one problem, and we've probably all seen this, where you're on a on a on a page that has set its table to just take up as much as much width as it possibly can, and you think, great, well now I'm never going to have a problem cross-referencing this table because it's it's big, taking up the entire width of this of of my document. But have you ever tried to look at like a three-column table that has forced itself to spread out into a you know a physical like a 30 inch thing you know every column is like literally physically 10 inches wide it gets kind of stupid and it's actually it gets a little bit difficult to track to track the data across the page then at least it is for me because you, you 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 look at the left and you say okay that's that's that one that's that's magia now i'm gonna trace across oh, oh am i fault i i've i've gotten onto the wrong row now okay let me go back and, and trace with my finger so that I'm not losing, you know? And so you have to, like, map it out almost. It's almost, it's too far apart. Uh, the opposite is obviously true. I mean, if you've ever seen a table rendered in HTML on a, a mobile phone, then you've probably seen tables that just physically, literally cannot fit on that mobile screen. Like, at some point, uh, like, I don't know, a 10-column table with reasonably large words, they it just literally can't fit on the, um, what is this, like, maybe the three-inch wide mobile screen? Oh, sure, you can rotate it and give yourself a good six to seven inches, but it's it's kind of difficult to fit all of that information on such a small screen, and maybe you have to just zoom out so you can kind of, like, make it all fit, or maybe you have to zoom in and then just keep scrolling around, and so you're kind of, like, looking through this weird sort of view portal at, at this larger table. It's it's really clunky, and and that's... You know, if you're trying to optimize that from the well, from the user perspective, it's clunky in in lots of different examples that I've just I've just gone over. Uh, from the developer perspective, it's clunky because you you want to optimize it for each display. I mean, ideally, you don't you you want the information to be useful. That's why you're writing it down in the first place. And so you try to make adaptations. You try to think. You know, maybe, maybe there's a library out there to reflow a table correctly, or maybe there's a um, maybe there's a certain uh, trick that you can do as the as the developer based on you know tr attempting to detect the screen size and so on. So one does try to optimize it, but it, it gets it, it starts to become really a difficult to maintain because now you're having to like recode every single table depending on certain conditions and frankly those conditions you don't even always really know what those are maintenance gets really tough as well later on uh, or, or earlier on when you're actually writing the thing i don't know if you've ever tried to write a table in xml or html there are a lot of tags that you have to come up with that you have to use remember and all of those 
and the way that it's getting laid out, of course, in your code has basically no bearing on what it's going to look like later. Which, I mean, that's kind of, that's what code's all about, right? I mean, like, it, it very rarely, the code doesn't usually look like the render. Like, that's, that's why we call it code. Um, well, I mean, that's not the only reason we call it code. But, I mean, th- that's an expectation. But for tables, I mean, it really can be difficult to sort of remember where you are in your code. Um, to the extent that sometimes I've I've fallen back on like if I'm composing a table from scratch in HTML I've sometimes gone and rendered the table in uh, Markdown and then converted the Markdown to HTML because at least with Markdown you get this weird kind of you know ASCII rendering of a table you you use dashes and pipe symbols to construct a table which you'd think kind of would make some sense i mean it does kind of make sense but on the other hand it's actually really clunky too because i don't know if you've ever tried to edit a table that is composed of just dashes and pipes but you spend more time making all of the cells kind of like line up correctly uh, org mode helps with this it, it has some really nice table tools that that kind of help with that but it can be really, really clunky, and sometimes you just think, why, why why, am I doing it this way? Why don't I just open up a spreadsheet and put the information in there and then, I don't know, convert that to HTML somehow or something like that? So it's not fun is, is the point. And that's – those are the reasons I, I really don't like tables. And I, I really, really like the idea of being able to construct information and then deliver it in lots of different ways. So – if I've written something down, I want to know, I, I find great comfort in knowing that I can then export that document. The source code of that document can be converted and exported or whatever into multiple formats, meaning I should be able to deliver the the, the, the thing that I am trying to communicate. I should be able to deliver that as a plain text document, you know, markdown, whatever. Um, as as the source code itself, XML or, or whatever, I should be able to export it as HTML. I should be ex- able to export it as EPUB, PDF, uh, uh, some kind of word processing document, and 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 whatever else comes around. You know, like whatever other format there might be. I want to I want to know that there's one source of well, there's one source code, and from that one source code, I can render out to a lot of different formats. Because presumably, my readers are going to want a lot of different formats, and presumably, there are formats out there in the future that I have not anticipated yet that I would like to have some kind of uh, you know future proof against or, or getting into. Um, I want to be able to just sort of inherit those future formats, and I don't know what those will be, but ideally, I'll be prepared for them and i'm not going to have 31 or 81 or 120 tables that i then have to go through and manually modify because i didn't expect there to be some other format for 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 delivery for content delivery so i've established why tables are great i've told you why i think tables are horrible to deal with as a as an author slash developer slash content creator. And now I'm going to talk about what I do about tables in real life. Like this isn't, um, this isn't a dogmatic type of thing. This, this isn't something that always happens no matter what with me. It is something that usually happens though. It is, it is something that is very common for me to do. And that is to convert tables into some other format of data. And this is, this is a, this is data conversion. Like this is the kind of thing that you might do, 
you know, with a programming language, you're parsing some kind of data, you're, you're parsing it and converting it to, to some other schema. This is a, this is not a, this isn't a mindless thing that you can't, that, that, that you can count on making sense all the time. You, you sometimes have to really restructure the data, but that in itself, I think, is an interesting challenge. So let's, let's take something that probably many of us will be at least vaguely familiar with. And I'm going to try to do it sort of really simple, really easy. We'll just, we'll take it slow and we'll convert it to a couple of different We'll convert a couple of different tables to lists. Okay, so let's say you've got a table. The top, and I'm keeping it really simple here, uh, the top row is OS, init system, and package manager. Those are our columns. So three columns, OS, init system, package manager. Down the side, under OS, we'll have Fedora, Slackware, and Gentoo. Rows, columns, simple. So under Fedora, as the init system, we'll have system D, and the package manager is Package manager is DNF. Slackware, we've got BSD for the init system, or BSD style uh, for the init system. Slack PKG for the package manager. And then Gen 2, we've got OpenRC for the init system and package manager emerge. I mean, let's not get into questions of whether or not Gen 2 would necessarily insist on OpenRC being the init system because it's quite a flexible system. You could build it with something else. Same goes, frankly, for Slackware. But I'm just going, I, we'll, we'll just leave it with that just so we have different data through our table. Now, as a table, that's a, a three column table, it's four rows. Well, maybe you could say three rows uh, with, with a header row, but I mean, that's four rows. There's a lot, there's a good likely, it's quite likely that that actually probably wouldn't be a super problematic table but it'll be the example. So instead of structuring it as a table, which again, admittedly, you know, especially if we imagine under the, that, that Fedora wouldn't be the only entry for, for instance, system D and DNF combination. Like there'd probably, there'd certainly be RHEL, there'd certainly be CentOS, there'd certainly be Magia. Haven't looked at OpenMendriva um, in preparation for this episode, so I don't remember what they're up to right now, but you know, you'd have more there. Uh, Slackware would be on a line of its own. Although maybe not, maybe there'd be some systems under Slackware that would also be using a BSD or BSD style init system. So maybe there would be some listed there. OpenRC, maybe there'd be some other things that we could list there, like Arch or something. I don't know. Um, so, you know, you can imagine this this list being bigger in, in, in really all of the d- different directions. But here we go. So instead of writing that as a table... I would choose to write that as a bulleted list or possibly as a itemized list or or I should say uh what what is it called in docbook um a, a ter- um variable variable list and so you might have the heading or or the first bullet as fedora and then under that you'd have two bullets you'd have sub bullets you'd have init system colon system d package manager colon DNF. And then Slackware, init system, BSD, package managers, Gentoo, init system, OpenRC, package manager, emerge, and so on. So you would you would essentially get yourself into kind of a, a loop over over the um the initial column, the OS column, and that would become your top level bullet points. And then you would subjugate the other cells in the table to sub bullet points under the the under that column and and that would be the loop because you'd always have you'd always have that predictable init system package manager heading init system package manager heading init system package manager so that works it, it tells the same story 
data-wise. It, it delivers the exact same information, and it 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 does so in such a way that is predictable and repeatable, which doesn't really make any difference except that it helps the user get that same kind of cross-reference advantage. So if I know that I'm looking at this list and all I care about is the package management system, then I, I know after like the first one or two that package manager is always going to be the second sub-bullet point under each heading. And I even label that every single time to really, really drive home. I mean, that's redundant, and you could argue that we should just, like, for um, sort of conservation of bits, I guess, that we should just say Fedora, bullet point, system D, bullet point, DNF, Slackware, bullet point, BSD style, bullet point, Slack package, Gentoo, bullet point, open, you know. But, I mean, why do that? Like, why not? It doesn't cost that much extra to put a little heading in front of each one. So you've got the key and value pair. It's almost YAMLian. YAMLian. It's it's almost like YAML, really. I mean, if 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 we're looking at this, it's it's essentially saying here's a here's a sequence containing mappings, and that's what we're delivering. And and it's relatively simple to scan through that, you know, as a human with it sort of human brain human eyes it's relatively simple to scan through that and and extract the the focus that you want is it as easy as looking at a table i actually find that it is does it have the same communication that sort of that upfront one two punch that a table has i don't feel like it necessarily does i think we humans really do find tables comforting and familiar or at least I should say, as a certain kind of human. I don't know that all humans find tables comforting and familiar, although I think that we do. Because you see tables even in, um, you know, when you're, on, when you're shopping online, um, you'll, you'll look at comparisons. Like, does this GPU have such and such? Or, or what about the, this, this subscription plan? What, what kind of benefits do you get with if, if you take this level of subscription versus that level of subscription? And so on. So you do kind of get those. You get that in a lot of different areas, I feel. So I think it might just be, yeah, sort of an inborn natural trait that you see a table and you understand what it's trying to communicate. Whereas a bullet list, you don't necessarily always know. Is this just a list of stuff? Or is this a comparison of stuff? Like, you, ha you do have to work a little bit harder to understand, or, or rather to establish what, for instance, a list is really trying to communicate to you. Like, what is the data structure? But through repetition and verbosity, I feel like that structure can be conveyed pretty quickly. And the benefit for me far outweighs losing that sort of upfront, hey, here's a table, now you know what you're going to be looking for. Um, I would rather have the bullet list because they're easier to code, they're easier to maintain, they're easier to export. Now, of course, a table doesn't always translate exactly to a list the way this one did. This was a really good example of, of, of a sequence of data that contained key and value pairs. That's pretty easy to convert into a list. To be honest, I mean it, it's 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 a really direct kind of translation. Sometimes that doesn't always work. So, for instance, let's say that we're looking at a table that is comparing the uh, licenses and interplanetary uh, existences of operating systems. So you might have uh, uh, as your columns 
your operating system. You have a column saying whether or not it's open source, and you have a column defining whether or not it has landed on Mars. So this would be a classic table that you'd see when you're looking at, I don't know, like a car sales report or or a, um, like I said earlier, like graphics card comparison or something like that, where you'd have like little green check marks in one column, and at certain points they would stop being green check marks and they'd turn into red X's. But if you go over to the next column where you pay $5,000 more for that car or for that graphics processor, then suddenly you get more green check marks and fewer red X's. And then finally, if you go premium, and pay $10,000 more, you get all green check marks. Nothing but green check marks all the way down. So anyway, you got operating system, open source, landed on Mars. Those are your columns. Your, your rows are Linux, BSD, and Mac OS. Linux, open source, yes. BSD, open source, yes. Mac OS, open source, no. Landed on Mars, Linux, yes. BSD, no. Mac OS, no. Don't hold me to this data. I don't actually know what has or has not landed on Mars. Some BSD code probably is almost certainly on Mars, but the kernel itself, as far as I know, is not on Mars. As of this recording, as of my very brief research. So as a bullet list, if we took my previous example uh, very literally, we would have some ugly list like bullet point Linux. Open source colon yes. Landed on Mars yes. BS, uh, bullet point BSD, sub bullet point. Open source yes. Landed on Mars, no. Mac OS, open source, no. Landed on Mars, colon, no. That would be serviceable, but I feel like in that case, the Boolean values of yes and no make the verbosity, I don't know, a little bit... It, it becomes, like, with that kind of verbosity, then the, the landed on Mars, colon, no. Well, then why even mention it? It, it hasn't landed on Mars, so why... Why occupy my visual and brain processing space with something that resolves to it doesn't matter, like it doesn't to a no value? That doesn't that doesn't add anything. I I think in this case, I think it actually requires more brain processing and more more it, it provides more visual noise than than what we could do. So in that case, I don't think that the the presentation. The, the translation of the table into a bullet point really services the reader. I think what would be better, well, what I really think would be better is to just not present this as a table. So, for instance, I would just write Linux and BSD are open source operating systems, while Mac OS is not. Of these POSIX compliant systems, only Linux has landed on Mars so far. There, I've just delivered the same amount of information in two sentences and in a clearer and, and more fluid fashion. Now, to be fair, that might that might not always be the intent. Like you might not want to be writing prose. You you may actually want to provide people with sort of the data. I mean, certainly you always have the choice of just taking that data and and doing a literal translation where you where you make the first row, the, the first cells, the first column of cells the the main bullet points and then sub bullet points of of key and value pairs that totally works but i'm i'm trying to get an example where maybe that isn't optimal like maybe that that's not what you're trying to do so it's just maybe the thing that you that you defaulted to well i'm doing tables anyway i might as well put this this comparison into a table but let's let's assume for a moment that that's not a necessary you don't need the green check marks and and red x's you're just trying to convey the information so another way to do that could be to summarize what's common and then highlight the differences so for instance you might write one line 
that says, or, or I guess two two lines, there are a few Linux systems on Mars. Neither BSD or macOS have yet landed on Mars. And then as bullet points, bullet point, Linux and BSD are both open source. macOS is based partially on open source and includes components from the BSD, KDE, GNU, and other projects. There. So now you've gotten, you've, you've taken up visual, you've taken up visual sort of processing cycles with the bullet points, and you've highlighted in, as a group, the common elements. So in one bullet point, you have defined what certain groups have in common. Linux and BSD are both open source. So that takes care of Linux open source, yes. Landed on Mars, yes. BSD open source, yes, and that's it. So that, that, that highlights those three cells. We still have three cells that we haven't talked about, which is the fact that BSD is not open, it is not landed on Mars, and that macOS is not open source and has not landed on Mars. So for the second bullet point, then we highlight the fact that macOS is only partially based on open source, so that takes care of the open source colon no under Mac, uh, along the macOS, uh, axis. And um, that's it. And then the sentence that we summarized uh, the data, we've got there are uh, Linux systems on Mars. So that's uh, Linux landed on Mars, yes. And neither BSD or macOS have yet landed on Mars. So that's macOS, no, and BSD, no, for the landed on Mars. Still, other times you just have to question what the table's actual intent is. Or, or purpose really is. And so to bring it back around to where we started with, with D&D, for instance, um, there are table, there are lots of, famously lots of tables in D&D books. That's just kind of, it got started early on, and it proved useful and kind of endearing, and so they've persisted. And even in the latest edition of D&D, there are tables under each a character class that sort of outlines the lifespan of that character. So if you choose, for instance, a barbarian to play a barbarian, then there's a table telling you how that barbarian is going to progress over the the course of 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 their duration of their life in in the game, and and that's a useful thing. And I think in 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 one way you think you look at that table and you say, well, that's for a player who's looking through this handbook trying to figure out what class they want to play, and they're going to look at this table and look at things like, well, what kind of bonuses do I get throughout each level? And they'll look at that, they'll look at the Barbarian, for instance, and, and, and look at the progression of the Barbarian, and they'll be happy with that. But then they'll go back and maybe flip over to the Fighter and see what progression the Fighter has and what kind of benefits they get across, you know, through the course of their of their lifespan. And I think in a way that that's kind of the intent of those tables is to sort of be a a summary and maybe a little bit of a shopping list for players as they try to choose which class they want to play. But if you really think about it, if you really look at that table and think about what's actually being conveyed, there, there's not really that much there aren't a whole lot of specifics in that table. Uh, the, the, you you get things like at a certain level you get um, a primal path. Well, what is a primal path? Well, if you've played D and D before fifth edition, then you know what a primal path, or you may, might know what a primal path is for a barbarian if you played a barbarian. But but you'll know that that primal path is actually a set of other options. So you have to choose your primal path. So Knowing that you get a primal path at third level as a barbarian 
doesn't actually tell you anything. It just tells you at third level you're going to have to make some new choices about sort of how your character develops. And that's not even summarized in this table. It's just it's just an alert that, hey, you're going to have to make choices. Well, there's a certain implicit expectation here that you're going to have to make choices about your character. If you know anything about leveling up, whether you've played D&D or just a video game that has you do some action when you get a certain number of points, some kind of level up action, which is pretty common these days, then then you know that at, at a new level you're going to have choices to make. That's just That's an RPG. So I don't know how useful the table actually is in terms of sort of a summary of that character. And when I was adapting the free under the open game license, uh, the the free rules of 5th edition for players who hadn't yet purchased the player handbook, I decided to render those tables as lists instead. And frankly, I was pretty happy with them. They are not, you know, by any means, they are not, I think probably they take up more space than the table. I, th- I think there's no question about that. The table has the advantage of being able to use both vertical and horizontal space to its advantage, while bullet lists don't. They just use vertical space. So you get, uh, you know, on one page, you get two columns of a bullet list, whereas what really should be happening is like maybe a fourth of the page or a third of the page gets taken up by one glorious table. But I didn't want to have to deal with the table. I didn't find it fun to code the table. I didn't find it fun to maintain the table. And so I chose... And, and I also didn't I didn't know what format my players would be consuming the the data because I was going to offer it to them as plain text. I was going to offer it to them as EPUB and as PDF, and I could probably offer it to them as HTML if I wanted to. So I didn't know what format they were going to consume this. So I didn't really want you know, especially in plain text, the the table uh, just looks horrific. It's just it's a horrible thing to look at because it runs right off the page. ASCII ASCII text or, or mono space text i mean it, it is as wide as it is every single character and so it, it if you have a lot of data in your table it just keeps going and going and going forever so that wasn't that wasn't something that i wanted to do and so i just i translated it into a list and it worked and the the thing about that is that it, it wasn't re- it, it was really just a yaml sequence if you think of it in yaml terms so there there were, i didn't do necessarily um, predictable key value pairs because not everything happens at every level. So for instance, you have level one, and then, so this was a numbered list, which makes a sense. So one is level one. The bullet point under that is proficiency plus two. So now your proficiency bonus is plus two. Good to know. You get rage, and you get unarmored defense. You have to look up what both of those things are later in the text, but that's just kind of how D&D works. At level two, number two, level two, you get reckless attack and danger sense. At level three, you get rage and primal, so more more rage and danger sense. More, no, that's uh, primal path, sorry. Primal path at, at level three. Four, level four, ability score improvement. Five, proficiency plus three. So now we're kind of getting some repetition here. But not really. I mean, you'll you'll see proficiency upgrades throughout. You'll see a couple of ability score improvements throughout. So things pop back up, but it's not predictable unless you're very, very familiar with kind of like the way that D&D levels up. But what I realized, even as I was translating the table, is that the intent of the table might seem... It, it may seem to be a good summary of information about that class, but actually what it is is a guide for players to know what to do when they level up. 
it can be a very sort of frantic, frightening experience to level up. You think, oh my gosh, what do I have to do? I have to make changes to my character. What kind of changes do I have to make? Uh, well, with this list, it, it it tells you correctly exactly what you need to do. And is it better than a table? Frankly, I kind of I think it is, to be honest, because a table doesn't necessarily say, here are the changes that you need to make. It, it more communicates the idea of, hey, here's an overview of what your class is going to be like over the course of level 1 through 20. That doesn't really... I mean, you have to... It's another step, I think, for many players to think, ah, okay, so if this is an overview, it is also a recipe. Whereas a list, especially a numbered list, it just cries out, this is a recipe. This is a an algorithm. This is a these are the steps that you have to take. Start at 1, apply these items. When you get to 2, come back to this list, start at 2 and apply these items. This is all cumulative. There's no implication that you have to replace anything. This is very clearly it's building on itself as you increment levels. So frankly, I think in many ways a list for that purpose is superior to a table, even though a table is what I think the designers of that text thought was the most logical, sort of obvious method of delivery. And I mean, I'll admit that the table probably is useful. I mean, it is a great, once again, it's a great at-a-glance tool. If you can afford to have a table for that sort of at-a-glance overview, I will admit that's not too bad. Is it is it all that different from a t- from a list? I don't think so. For me, I I am just as I'm just as happy scanning over a list quickly as I am a table. But I think there is I, I acknowledge and I even identify with like I I feel the same sense of sort of comfort and relief. Ah, here's all the information in one relatively small footprint. Here's all the information all at once. Now, I'll never look at that table again, or maybe I will, just to kind of get get an idea of where I'm headed. But for the actual sort of step-by-step process, the the list is actually really, really useful, and it has become my preferred method of consuming that information, interestingly. I would rather look at my lists than the tables in the D&D book when I'm when I'm playing a character when I'm doing a quick reference as dungeon master to figure out for a, a player that might not be clear on some feature then I I often do flip straight to that table because I'm like hey that's that's going to be all the information right where I need it although frankly I, I could also get that information from my list anyway so I kind of like my list is what I'm trying to say anyway that those are my thoughts on tables and how to convert data from tables into something that might be easier to code, to maintain, and certainly render, and possibly even understand for your readers. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. 
unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.